Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 66 of the North American Outdoors Podcast. My name is Heidi Rayo, and I'm coming to you from the great state of Wyoming today. I am so excited to have with me in my little mobile podcast studio, my friend, Brian DeBolt. Thank you, Brian, for coming to join us today. Well, thank you, Heidi. I'm uh, glad you're up here visiting us. Um, yeah, it's great to see you and your family once a year. Um, we really love having you up, and and uh, yeah, I like seeing your setup here, and this is really interesting. I'm excited. Have you ever done a podcast before? I have, but um, it's been quite a while, to be honest with you. So That's awesome. Yeah. So the, what, the reason I've had Brian um, sit with me today is we make an annual voyage up across country from Texas all the way up into Wyoming, Montana, and the Northwest. And we just road trip and visit the national parks. And, you know, we do all things outdoor, all things nature. We've raised our kids that way. Uh, Brian has done the same. He's raised his boys that way, being outdoors and submerged in nature. And I just wanted to ask today some things that you've seen being a local, being a native Wyomingian, Wyomingian? What's the word? Wyomingite. <laughs> Wyomingite. There you go. So what are some things that you've seen li living up here about, what, two and a half hours from the entrance of Yellowstone National Park, the Grand Tetons National Park, um, seeing everybody passing through? And uh, what are some of the experience that you, experiences that you've seen with um, visitors and tourists? Yeah, it's pretty interesting being born and raised in Wyoming. I kind of bounced around the state a little bit. And I went to college um, at our university in Laramie. And um, I was raised pretty much in Sheridan, Wyoming. And yeah, my entire family for generations have, have hunted and fished and been, you know, outdoors people. And it's really a family tradition. So, you know, I've seen changes especially in the last 
you know, basically 22 years that I've been working, you know, mostly with with bears in northwest Wyoming. Tell us what you do. So I'm actually the large carnivore conflict coordinator for the Wyoming Game and Fish Department, which basically um, we have four species of what are legally classified as trophy game animals in the state of Wyoming. We have black bears, mountain lions, grizzly bears, and, and wolves in a big portion of the state. And so it's my job to work with the people and those animals when they come into conflict. So, for example, you know, a mountain lion kills a sheep or a bear tips over somebody's garbage can or, you know, God forbid somebody gets injured or killed by a bear. Um, that, that's been my job for quite a while now. So the locals, so to speak, um, do they have as many conflicts as you see versus the busy season when the snow melts and we can travel the roads getting into the national parks? Are you seeing, or the wilderness areas, that you know, the national forest, are you seeing as many conflicts off season than you do during the season, the, the touristy season, or what's your experience with, um, I guess, Common sense and, and being bear aware and being, you know, all too often when people come visit these areas, they're coming from a place that that they don't have bears or they don't have lions and they just don't know what they don't know. And they don't realize how dangerous some of these, you know, large carnivores are. And a lot of times people don't heed the warnings. They don't read the signs. Um, they don't know how to judge distance and stay so far back. Um, what do you, what do you see? What are your, some experiences on some of those situations? Yeah, that's really interesting. I, uh, again, being born and raised here and, and the locals, I guess, you know, most of the conflicts that we have <clears throat> specifically with grizzly bears, um, are grizzly bears killing cattle. That that's just the major type of conflict. Some folks have been dealing with that for quite a while. Um, the grizzly bear population is extremely abundant, very robust, um, but they're occupying a lot of areas where they haven't, you know, in recent history, areas that are used for, you know, other human uses. And like, say, for example, livestock grazing. And so even generational ranchers um, have to deal with a new way of doing business because now they have livestock depredation from grizzly bears that they haven't had to deal with, you know, pretty much in their lifetime because of that growing, expanding population of grizzly bears. And that's something that, you know, most folks are real easy to work with. These these ranchers are wonderful people. Um, they're hardworking. They're just trying to make a living. Uh, but they have you know, in some cases, um, grizzly bears killing enough of their cattle that makes a serious impact to their livelihood. So moving on to something we are seeing a lot more of, um, with a recovered grizzly bear population, um, they are biologically recovered. Um, there's a lot of political battles going on. There's a lot of, you know, socioeconomic issues with, with grizzly bears. Um, 
But but as with any endangered species, once they become recovered to the point where um, they're abundant and the numbers are what they are, you start seeing a lot different types of conflicts. And I think that's what you wanted to get into a little bit was, yeah, a lot of new people. And we have a lot of, uh, oh, we kind of call them non-resident landowners, for example. They own cabins in the mountains, you know, small places, little chunks of dirt they call their own for a seasonal part of the year. Um, till it starts snowing up here. Yeah, their till first it starts <laughs> snowing and it drives them back south or something. Um, so, and they're not familiar with, with living with grizzly bears, for example. Um, and they're really no different than, you know, the seasonal um, tourists that come up just to visit, whether they're on their way to Yellowstone or some other destination anywhere in northwest Wyoming where they could encounter grizzly bears, for example. And they're just, um, they don't understand the seriousness of these potentially dangerous large carnivores. You know, for the most part, they're not a dangerous animal. You know, they're not these man killers, you know, and, and, on the other end of the spectrum, they're not these cute, cuddly <laughs> critters that you want to take a selfie with either. Right. And I do think that there's, um, you know, I, I've traveled the U.S. quite a bit, um, and I see places where, I, I mean, for the most part, wildlife is so crowded and so diminished because of, of development. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't drive, you know, here, if you're going to run out of gas, well, you better get gas because it may be three hours to the next gas station. Right. But, you know, most other places, you don't have to drive 10 minutes to find a gas station. It's There's just a lot of development, a lot of houses um, that we don't have up here. It's, it's these wide open spaces, which we love. Um, and it's allowed for, like I say, wonderful populations of all kinds of animals, you know, small game um you know, critters to, you know, everything from, you know, chipmunks and pocket gophers to grizzly bears and everything in between. Um, But they're not used to that. And I don't, I think people just don't understand. And maybe that's kind of a failure in uh, most wildlife agencies across the country is just, um, we try hard to educate folks. Mm-hmm. Um about what they should what they should expect, what they're going to encounter um, when they come out west, and um, you know, one big thing is approaching grizzly bears. You know, we incident after incident, time after time, um, both inside the parks and out, we have people, yeah, trying to get close to bears for pictures, and you know, they look pretty docile and fluffy, and <laughs> maybe a little inattentive, and they're just kind of doing their thing. Um, grazing along the roadside or something, and there's it could be extremely dangerous. Like say they, you know, they're not overly aggressive towards people all the time. Um, it, it's pretty rare for a bear to become extremely aggressive towards a person, but they're still a wild animal, and you don't know what's going to push their buttons mm-hmm. when you get just. They have a personal space bubble just like a human does, and it varies between bears, you know, and and there's so many circumstances at play. Um, you know, do they have cubs with them, you know? Um, 
what what's their last experience with a human? Was it good? Was it bad? Did it startle them? Did they feel threatened? And so their next encounter with a human is going to dictate how they behave, you know, in that situation. And um, they're unpredictable is what it boils down to. What about yeah. time of year? Does that make a difference too when they're feeding or hibernating or you know waking Absol- a sleeping bear? Absolutely, yeah. That's a that's a great point, Heidi. So, um, for example, right now it's it's you know the end of May, first part of June. It's breeding season for bears, and so a lot of things are going on. You have uh, yeah males looking for females. Um, one of the highest source of mortality on cubs especially young cubs that were born this year, um, is from predation by adult males. Um, you know, they come, they find a female, and, and she's got cubs, and frankly, they're a food source for them. So they'll take advantage of that. You know, it's um, that that's wild nature right mm-hmm. there. And and they look at those bears as a, those cubs as a food source. Um, and a, a benefit to that is let's say they do kill those cubs, that female come may come back into estrus and he can breed her, you know, and pass on his genes into the population. <clears throat> so yeah, um adult males do their territorial. Uh their home ranges expand significantly this time of year in search for females. Uh the females kind of try to stick to a little core area where they're, you know, they can try to have some sort of safety for their cubs um, and and their basic elements of survival, food and water and cover and whatnot. Um, But then again, females that that don't have cubs with them, of course, are being frankly courted by several males. (laughs) And all that breeding behavior this time of year definitely has an impact on how they react to people. And so... um, they could definitely, you know, their their hormones are on high, really, and um, it makes things a little more unpredictable, you know. Um, Does that make it difficult for you, like for your job and places that you're sent um, because people are not um, keeping their distance and respecting the bear space when they encounter, you know, wildlife, then you guys get called and that takes you away from other jobs that you may be going towards. Now you have to stop what you're doing because I would think that's a priority when a person gets involved and you get called out on location to investigate um, uh, an attack or, you know, worse. Um, and usually a lot of that could be avoided, right? Just by right. heeding the warnings and using basic common sense. But again, you don't know what you don't know. So if if you're going into an area where there's wildlife that you've never seen or have never lived with, you know, and you don't pay attention to the the signage and, you know, trail heads closed or whatever the reason, then, you know, bad things are going to happen when you're walking into that area. Absolutely. So we do get so many folks that, for example, they're on their way you know, to either Grand Teton or Yellowstone National Park. And I'm not sure what their concept of a national park is. Um, it's not a zoo. These animals are not tamed by any stretch of the imagination. Um, some of them are definitely habituated. And, you know, for quite a while, you know, habituated wildlife of any kind, whether it's a bison or a moose or an elk or a bear, you know, they're relatively tolerated in a national park setting. You know, they have 
real strict food storage guidelines. Um, I mean, you basically, to some extent, check in and check out of the park. Yeah. Um, it's it's a more controlled environment, and you're there to see wildlife. That's what the draw is, and so they promote um, these wildlife being visible to the public, specifically on roadsides. Um, and they hand out a lot of information, you know, pamphlets and different things um, to help folks behave ethically when mm-hmm. they're trying to view that wildlife. But as what we have to deal with outside of that boundary is this multi-jurisdictional situation. So uh, working for the Wyoming Game and Fish Department, we're responsible for managing the wildlife. And when it comes to grizzly bears, there's even another hierarchy there where um, they're listed as threatened on the Endangered Species Act. So the the federal jurisdiction, you know, supersedes state authority in that regard. Um, But we're the ones on the ground. We're the ones doing the legwork, you know. And um, then we have, for example, road issues, traffic jams. Um, You know, that's a... um, Wyoming Highway Patrol issue, you know, um, they these roads cut through uh, Forest Service lands, so the U.S. Forest Service is in charge of, you know, they have some jurisdiction there with, um, you know, being the land management agency. Um, so this multi-jurisdictional um, complication, I guess, that doesn't exist within the park. You know, they, they control everything in the park. And so, for example, they can roll up on a bear jam. We call it bear jam when a bunch of, you know, folks are stopped along the side of the road, maybe out of their vehicles and whatnot at a safe distance, um, viewing a bear. And um, they have specific folks assigned to show up handle the traffic, keep folks back, inform them about the bears, different things. That's their job. They hire, you know, several seasonal folks. That's just all they do all summer. And we noticed over the years that a lot of them, they're not um, National Park Service, like police officers. You know, they're not carrying a firearm. You know, they're, they're carrying their bear spray, and, and they're they're like volunteers almost, where they are traffic control and keeping people, you know, on the opposite side of the road where the bear is seen. And so we've noticed over the years that more and more people like that are present because it, I don't know if it's more bears are present lately, but, or they've had more conflict lately that they're trying to get more education out there. I think it's a combination. So yeah, those folks are, you know, they're hired by the, by the park service and, yeah, they're not enforcement, um, but it's it's really kind of organized chaos. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like herding cats. I mean, so many people dodging in and out of traffic and pedestrians and everything. Um, you know, the, I got to hand it to those folks. They try real hard to, mm-hmm. to keep that a safe environment and yet still allow folks to do what they came to the park to do and enjoy and take some photos of wildlife, whatever it may be. Um but again, outside of that jurisdictional boundary, it's just we don't have that organized system. And frankly, we don't want to promote that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are state highways where, um, you know, we got interstate commerce going back and forth. We got people commuting back and forth to work. Um, and although they love wildlife, that's that's not what they're there for. They're getting from point A to point B. They're getting to work. They're getting their, you know, 
deliveries done, whatever the case may be. You know, we have higher speed limits, things like that. Um, and so these huge bear jams that do exist um, from folks just heading to the park, for example, um, it's not a good situation. It's unmanageable. Mm-hmm. We don't have the staff, the manpower, or the kind of unilateral jurisdictional authority to manage those things. And it's becoming more common, like say, with, with more and more bears with that growing population. So, But these folks, to, to know, um, you know, it's not their fault. You know, they're on their way to the park, and all of a sudden, there's a whole bunch of people pulled over on the side of the road taking a picture of a bear, and they think, oh, this is just great. You know, here's another. They don't maybe even realize they're not, these aren't park bears, and we're not in the park. And and you a- get sucked into it. So, I, you know, you you come up on a bear jam, and you pull over because you know there's a bear up there because everybody else has pulled over. You don't know what you're going to see, so you pull over, you know, in your safe area, and you get out, and you follow the herd of people and, you know, to find out whatever wildlife they're looking at. So it kind of draws you in when you're traveling those roads where bears roam. It sure is. You know, I mean, you got your whole family loaded up and um, it may be the only grizzly bear you ever see in your lifetime. And why would you pass that opportunity up? You know, I I totally understand. But the human safety issue um, is is really high, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, like I say, it's pretty much an uncontrolled situation. And so, you know, we've taken an active role in, in trying to dissuade bears from lingering along the roadside. You know, we have a lot of bears that get struck by and killed by vehicles. You know, once they become habituated to the roadside like that, we, we just see it time and time and time again. They get struck by vehicles and, you know, they have a shorter lifespan ultimately. And so our goal is just to promote the long-term existence of these bears. Um, and we know that being roadside like that, A, they're already habituated to people. And if that was as far as it went, fine. But again, we see lots of vehicle collisions. We see even pretty potentially dangerous situations between with pedestrians getting struck by vehicles. Um, we've had fist fights between people really up on the highway. Yeah. You know, you're in my shot, you're in my way. You're don't get so close. And, and verbal arguments have turned physical multiple times. Trying to photograph bears, mm-hmm. trying wow. to photograph bears. We've had people, um, multiple occasions where people are trying to feed these bears Mm -hmm. you know they want that closer picture um we've had you know people harassing these bears with drones you know all these things are going on are those legal they're not legal in the national parks Mm -hmm. and and technically with it with the grizzly bear um you know if you disturb it in any way um whether you're on foot or your vehicle or with a drone, you know, if you if you impede its its feeding, its breeding, or movement, that's basically called harassment mm-hmm. of an endangered species, you know, and that's a that's a federal offense. And so, due to all of those circumstances, and it's and it is extremely chaotic, we just don't want to promote roadside. Mm-hmm 
viewing of bears. You know, if somebody can just slow down, maybe if there's a bear roadside, take a quick photograph and move on, great. That's, yeah. that's awesome that we have that opportunity. But but we literally have people that that linger for all day. And You're they, sharing a story with me that yeah. some people just hang out for 12 hours a day waiting for that one shot yeah. of that one bear that has been known to appear, <laughs> pop its head up in that area. Yeah. You know, I talked to one guy this spring and he mentioned how he had like 2,000 hours of, you know, viewing this one particular bear. And, you know, that's great that he has that much time, <laughs> I guess, but... um Again, so every time he pulls over, when that bear does peek its head out, you know, and to some extent, it's like, leave the poor bear alone. Yeah. Give it, you know, some peace and quiet. <laughs> Why do you have to be hounding this bear every single time it pokes its head out of the trees on the roadside? And as soon as he does, that individual does, stop to watch this bear. You got 50 cars mm -hmm. quickly. So I'll stop. What's he looking at? What's going on? And it creates a huge hazard for both the bear, like say, and the people. And we also see these bears, um, like say, just for the most part, being relatively comfortable around people in and of itself isn't, you know, a terrible thing. But we see these bears that um, then they move into a place where it's a campground or a lodge or something or even a, a subdivision on the edge of town. And they're comfortable going into those places because mm -hmm. they're already habituated to people. And sure enough, then they start getting food from mm -hmm. humans on purpose or inadvertently. Um, and then that becomes an extremely dangerous situation for people. A bear that becomes conditioned to human foods, yeah, they do become aggressive. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they start to protect food sources that, you know, whatever it may be, a bird feeder or dog food or horse grain or whatever's mm -hmm. around a person's house. And that's a terrible situation to have. So yeah. what happens in that situation if, if like a landowner has a grizzly hanging out on their property? Is, is that when you get called or is there anything that they can do at that point to prevent once the bear detects there's a food source? Yeah. So there's, um, there's definitely a kind of a, a scale of of how we try to approach things and any any bear that's in any kind of conflict whether it's just kind of hanging around you know a developed area or whether it, yeah it knocked a bird feeder down or something <clears throat> we try to educate folks secure that attractant whatever it may be um and kind of hope the bear moves on um if they continue to seek out human foods become more destructive, more bold in their behavior. You know, it may get to the point where we got to trap that bear and move it. Um, if the situation, you know, is to the point where that bear's already there, it's already obviously food conditioned, extremely bold, way too comfortable around people, even showing some signs of aggression towards folks, we'll remove that bear. And, and I mean, lethally remove it. We'll catch them and, um, we also do some live removal of bears, which is like placement in a zoo or some mm -hmm. sort of other, you know, educational facility. Um, but honestly, that's hard to do. I mean, A, finding an adequate facility. Um, we're not just going to put these bears in some podunk 
mm-hmm. you know, chain link fence that somebody wants to save a bear. No, you got to have a right. good, clean, adequate facility. It's got to be um, AZA, American Zoological Association certified. Um, and it's got to, you know, obviously be able to keep the bears in and people out. Right. Um, should have some sort of veterinarian on staff or at least on contract. Um, and those are hard to find, I'll be honest with you, because there's a lot of bears in captivity. They breed well in captivity. And, yeah, there's just not a whole lot of room for them. So, um, yeah, lethal removal is definitely the last resort when it comes mm-hmm. to managing these bears. Um, and, you know, that, that's a tough part of our job. People don't realize that there's there's definitely a tremendous amount of decision-making and conversation that goes into what do we do with each conflict situation. Um, but they hear, for example, oh, a bear got into somebody's trash, and the game of fish came in, and they killed that bear. Mm-hmm. So they have a bear getting their trash, and they're like, well, we ain't calling because they're just going to kill the bear. But they don't realize that maybe this bear, you know, got into trash in three or four other places. We caught it and moved it. It came back, okay, um, charged somebody in the middle of the day back into their house when they were just trying to go out and get their mail, tipped over their trash can, tried to break into their car. Mm. I mean, the escalation of right. all these. They don't know the whole story, unfortunately. And, and they're not going to find that out because that's not yeah ad- advertised too and often. And some of them don't want to. Right. You could tell them, and they're like, oh, you know, they're going to believe what they want to believe. So right. um, often we get called, and it, it's too late for us to implore um, those other options. And our only option in some cases is removal. But, again, that is the last case. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we try to manage population as a whole. And, you know, individual bears um, – like I said earlier, since since a population is fully recovered biologically, mm-hmm. you know, individual bears, given all the circumstances, aren't crucial to the long-term survival of grizzly bears in the Yellowstone ecosystem. And so when they pose a significant threat to folks or property, yeah, we will remove them. Mm-hmm. And we hope that in the long term that builds tolerance for you know, that species conservation from folks that, yeah, that are having their property damaged, that are potentially being threatened, you know, their personal lives, you know, and their children's lives. They can't go down to the fishing hole below the house like they used to 10 years ago. Um, that it'll build a little more tolerance that if they do have a problem with a bear, we will, you know, take care of it. So it's for the greater good, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but folks on the other side have to realize that as well, that, you know, our first resort isn't just, yeah, go trap and kill a bear. You know, right. that that's our last resort. Um, and we're trying to do what we can to manage the population as a whole. So. And to get that education out, too. So, and does it help? Have you noticed that when you do have a conflict with, um, you know, people's property or livestock, you know, maybe their mindset has changed. Maybe they were, um, 
had one formation in their mind about what they thought it was like with bears. And now that it actually happened to them and now it changed their mindset of, Oh wow, this is serious. And I do need to be more aware and careful and, you know, put up my feed or whatever. And, and have you noticed that when you've dealt with that situation, have they helped in the education of neighbors and surrounding landowners and property and helping you spread the word? Yeah, they sure have. And, and like I say, most folks are just wonderful to work with. And, you know, yeah, if they call us and, oh, we've had this bear and he hasn't got in anything, but boy, he's been hanging around a couple of days. And, you know, I ask him, well, yeah, do you got bird feeders or dog food or horse grain or this or that or the other? And, and we talk about those things. And I sure try to get a knock on their door as mm-hmm. soon as I can. Doesn't sound like a situation where we need to going and really do anything but you talk to those folks and then you find out well he's over at the neighbors and you know maybe they buried a pet dog or cat or something you know and that's what it was feeding oh, wow. and it's like all right well let's get rid of that and <laughs> you know and, and you and it does it builds a lot of tolerance um and it helps you know it keeps the bear alive mm-hmm. you know folks realize hey we got to store our tractants we do live in bear country um and they're really cooperative with that but is what, let's say, for example, a roadside bear that takes hundreds of man hours from our department to manage mm-hmm. away from what's a real conflict and, and really trying to work with the people who have to live with these bears every single day of their lives. Um, when you take that away, again, that tolerance is going to wane. And no wildlife program will ever be successful without public tolerance. Right, And so that's, for example, one thing I look at. If we're spending so many hours and so much time and effort on individual bears, um, it, it, it really harms the population as a whole. And, you know, I use the expression, you know, love something to death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks who just, they're so passionate about grizzly bears. And that's wonderful. But they're loving these bears to death. You know, they're devoting so much time and so much resources, not only of their own, but the agencies to individual bears that aren't contributing overall to the population very much. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, they're cranking out some cubs, you know, and whatnot, (laughs) and that's very appealing to the eye. But in the big picture, we got tons of bears in other places cranking out lots of cubs that aren't requiring that much devotion of a you know resource but they're not in the public's eye as the public's eye yep so when they're in the forest or the national park you have a lot more pressure um because you're in the spotlight too you with your position and your job when you get called out they're watching to see what you're going to do next so you know yeah yeah so it's a tough job i mean like say folks you know they're just passionate about about seeing wildlife. And that's great that we live in a state where we have the opportunity to right. do that. You know, I mean, like, you know, there's most European countries, they, they don't even have enough wildlife to, to support any type of hunting anymore. And so, you know, a lot of those folks come out west here, you know, the western United States, and they see this abundance of wildlife and they just become you know, they're so passionate about it and it's great, you know, and they, um, but they don't, they don't understand how important it is that 
we got to this point because we've done really good management. Right. You know, and, and the people that have to live with these bears every single day, whether they're raising livestock or they, you know, have a fishing outfitting business or a hunting outfitting business or, you know, anything. The people or just absolutely live right in the heart of bear country because we got bears everywhere. They're the ones that deserve so much credit for bringing this bear, you know, into recovery levels to the point that it is now. And, um, but when, again, they do, a bear does cause a lot of conflict and it gets to the point where they're really threatening their livelihood mm -hmm. or their lives, we do remove those bears. And folks don't understand that. They're so critical of agencies and, um, you know, they think Wyoming's just honestly full of a bunch of redneck idiots that you know hates everything with teeth and claws and that couldn't be further from the truth right they should be saying thank you thank you for the fact that yeah if that's that one grizzly bear that they ever see their entire life you're welcome because yeah. of what we've been doing for decades with this critter that's right you know and they don't have that resource back home whether it's you know the eastern united states or a european country or whatever yeah you should be thanking us and say, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. You've done a great job. <laughs> and, uh, um, but we're all, as humans, we're all pretty short-sighted. And, yeah, I just don't think we see the big picture at times. That's so. right. So your takeaway message that you want to get out there about bears in Wyoming, what what would you like to tell everybody? So use common sense, you know. um, Bears are, although they look cute and cuddly, and they are wonderful and neat to watch, and they're individuals, and they got their own personalities, just like your dog at home, um, they are a potentially dangerous large carnivore, and they injure and kill people every year. Um, and so, and e even at times um, when people are, behaving the most ethically and the most bear safe and bear wise, you know, they could still have a, an extremely bad encounter with a bear. So don't make it that much easier um, to become a statistic. Use common sense. Don't approach any wild animal, especially a grizzly bear. Um, and just, yeah, enjoy wildlife from a distance. That's right. Well, I cannot thank you enough for your time and sharing your stories with us today. Um, hopefully you'll come back again next week and we can talk again about more, more about bears and life out here in the wild, the wild west, right? So there is no better classroom than the outdoors, roaming the woods and waters and creating memories that last a lifetime. This is Heidi Rayo and my friend Brian, and we um, have made another North American Outdoors podcast. For more information, you can visit NorthAmericanOutdoors.org and follow on Instagram at North American Outdoors. Have a great day. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.